You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. You just make yourself at home and let the Lord speak to you. Um, the kids are going to be doing their uh, outreach to the uh, nursing home this morning, so they're free to go now to that. We had such a great time uh, yesterday uh, with the uh, stuff sale for uh, site.org and uh, hugely successful, a lot, of, a lot of work and just a ton of people. Like It was supposed to start at 8 and I think there was already about 25 or 30 people out there at uh, before 8 o'clock and uh, uh, Steve and Helen said they didn't get done until about 5, uh, loading up the last uh, group of clothes and taking them to the uh, clothes closet and um, just an awesome outpouring from the community but also uh, from TCF uh, just doing some great work and so how many uh, how many eye surgeries is that 15 eye surgeries oh I'm sorry 50 eye surgeries um, that were funded uh, through that so just uh, really grateful to everybody that helped and uh, to everybody that gave to it I'm going to share a message this morning uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Um, and the, uh, the scripture itself says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Um, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I just want to talk about the, uh, the need or the, uh, uh, one of the qualities that God is working into our life. Um, some of the reasons why God deals with us the way that he does, the way that God um, has in mind for us in our life. You know, when I came to the Lord, um, I didn't know how messed up I was. I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, was very interested in knowing God and growing in my relationship with him. But I remember thinking at that time, you know, I pretty much am okay. I pretty much got it together. And uh, then the dealings of God began. And uh, he's so faithful to do these things in our lives to bring about what he wants in me instead of what I'm naturally just producing myself. Um, when I'm left to myself, most of the time I stagnate. But when I'm in his hands, it is just a constant thing that he is constantly bringing more things into my life to uh, bring about consistency and dependability and reliability. And that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about here. Now, I'm going to talk about um, seasons um, and, and how to be consistent and how God wants us to be consistent uh, in, in every season of our lives. Uh, but I don't want to go, do that without first talking about specifically what Paul is talking about here. Um, when he's talking to Timothy, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now he's talking about ministry here is what he's talking about. He's talking to a young um, leader, church leader, uh, elder, 
a pastor, a church planter. Um, Timothy was uh, a really uh, important key element of the early church. Uh, and he, was a, he directly discipled under Paul, uh, but Paul sent him out to do things when Paul wasn't able to go. And Paul worked with him sometimes, but a lot of times he just he sent him out. And so the book of 2 Timothy especially, this is reaching the end of Paul's uh, journey, the end of uh, Paul's life. Uh, he knew that he had a very limited amount of time, and he's just pouring into this young pastor, this, this guy that's his, his friend and his brother um, and his, uh, his mentee, um, and he's, he's just pouring into him. And he's telling him uh, something that's a real key uh, to successful ministry. Particularly, if you feel called um, to pastoring uh, or leading a congregation, leading a church, uh, leading an expression of the body of Christ, these words are, are just vital for you to, to get a grip on. And that's the consistency that comes from not just being driven by your own thoughts and desires, but by the need and the, the, um, the call of the Spirit. He says to preach the Word and to be ready in season and out of season. We're going to talk about two different ways that we can look at seasons here. External seasons and then internal seasons. And I think Paul is talking about both of these, but one of the hardest things for somebody in ministry to uh, be consistent in is the upheaval that goes on on the inside of you, and it happens to all of us, um, and how that can really negate what God wants to do through you. If you're just too conscious of yourself and too much uh, focused and fixated on yourself, you're never going to actually respond to the needs that God has put uh, around you. And here's what he says to do. He says, preach the word. And when he's talking about preaching the word, he's doing what I'm doing today, what we just did in Sunday school, um, what you do in your small groups. It's taking the word and it's applying it to life. That's what, that's what preaching the word is. Preaching the Word, sometimes it is just strictly Scripture. We've done that before. We have a, a service where you just, just read Scripture. It's awesome. Um, it's, it's powerful. Um, but most of the time what God has a preacher do is to take the Word and then to bring it to people in a way that they can understand it and apply it to their lives now, like what's actually going on in their lives. And the only way that you can do that is if you're applying it to your life first. Um, all of us have heard people that, whose preaching is just maybe instructive or interesting, but it's not anointed. The anointing comes from applying the Word in your own life, from preaching out of your own brokenness. That's where it, it comes from. And so he's saying to preach the Word and to be ready in season and out of season. And then he says, and this is what the Word is good for, to reprove. What does reprove mean? It's a form of correction. It's a form of having someone... Um, just kind of take stock of where they are and take stock of what's going on with them. And the Word is the perfect resource for that because the Word is impartial. It's very personal, but it's not swayed by who we are or what our position is. It simply speaks to us, and it's the authority in our life. Reprove, rebuke is a little stronger of a word. That's when you're, you're meeting resistance and, uh, and you're using the Word as a way um, to overcome that resistance by the authority of the Word of God that you speak into people's lives. Have you ever been rebuked? It's not fun. But it can be a life-changing experience if somebody is, is good at what they're doing and really loves you. I love it when I go through stuff in the body of Christ and you have people that are in conflict with one another and they continually say, love that person. 
If you hear them say that, man, you've got some ground to work with. That doesn't mean we won't have problems. But it means that underlying all of it is love. Not hate, not competition, not offense. But the, the, the underlying thing that we're, we're building it on is love. It's difficult, man. It is. And if you feel called to the ministry, um, God bless you. Soak up all that you can before you get into it because uh, it's a challenge in ways that people don't even understand what, the chal- what uh, challenges are. Rebuke and then to exhort. Exhort is somebody that's already going the right direction and you come along beside them and you say, you're doing well, keep it up. And we all need that. With complete patience and teaching. So let me kind of talk about this a little bit. Um, there's two different ways that we, two different seasons that, that we're going to be talking about this morning. And the first is external seasons. Now, we live in a world in the way that God has set this world, this cosmos, cosmos this, um, the whole operation of the physical world is in cycles. Summer, winter, fall, spring, it's, it's in cycles. The way the world looks at it sometimes is that everything is just the way that it always has been. It's just another cycle, it's just another cycle. But we as believers believe that we are going somewhere, right? It's not just like an endless cycle like a merry-go-round and you get on for a while and you go around for a few spins and then you get off. No, we believe that this cycle is bringing us forward to a culminating event. There is something that is coming. There's an expectancy that we have that it's not just a futile, you know, hamster in a cage, but that we're actually going somewhere. We're actually uh, progressing. And that God actually has a plan. And there's something ahead of us that is not just going to be the same old, same old. There was a day when the world was created. That was different than any other day that had ever existed before. There was a day when Jesus Christ was born into the earth. That didn't happen before, and it'll never happen again. There was a day that He died on the cross, and something happened that day that is historically significant. It's not a day like any other day. But listen, neither is today. Neither is this season in your life. Everything that's going on today is not just a repeat of everything that's gone on before, but God has a point. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And there's things that are, there's an urgency to the moment that we don't want to lose and we don't want to miss. Nature is cyclical. Here's the way that um, several different places in the Bible describe these external seasons. Amos chapter 9, verse 13 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. That just kind of turns the whole seasonal thing upside down. And what, he's, what Amos is after to teach them here is there is a time of great abundance that is coming. There is a time when uh, things are going to progress at such a speed and in so, so, uh, such an intense way um, that it's not going to be like anything that we've known before. And I'm not talking about necessarily in the future. I'm talking about in your life right now. That it's not just this, you know, kind of like everything is just kind of progressing along, but that God has something spectacular in mind. Jesus, when he was, uh, he talked to the woman of Samaria, 
And she couldn't keep it in, man. She ran back in, you know, to the city, and she's telling everybody, come see this guy. This guy, he is the Messiah. I've found, you know, the one who was promised. And after she left, the disciples had just come up, and they were bringing lunch for Jesus because he was tired from his journey and, and hungry. And, um, and he told them, I've got meat to eat that you don't know of. And they're like, well, where did you get something to eat? And he's like, he said, look, at, look up, because the fields are white. He said, you say, that, um, you say that there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. And he said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. That's you and me. That's us. That's his people. That's, that he was doing the work then, but he said greater works are you going to do. Why? Because it's multiplied by millions of people. And that doesn't mean that you're insignificant because you're one of a million. What you're doing is eternal in nature. And there's gonna, you're going you're to remember this forever. And there's going to be a reward that is commensurate with that, that is going to be a, an eternal reward that he has. He says, look, you, you think you've got time before harvest. You think, oh, well, you know, we've got four more months. It's no big deal. And, and Jesus is like, look, man, the fields are white unto harvest. Now, can I just pause for a second and say, if we're looking at the world in the natural today, that doesn't make any sense. What he's talking about is something spiritual. What does God say is going to happen when uh, evil abounds? Grace will abound much more. But if we're overwhelmed by our circumstances, if we're overwhelmed by what we see, if we're like the prophet who's saying there's nobody with me and we need our eyes open to see that there are literally a multitude heavenly multitude and an earthly multitude who are not just witnessing, but participating in this thing. And we're going to be discouraged if we don't see that. We need to see that. The fields are white unto harvest. I have um, what's called uh, encore azaleas uh, in my uh, flower bed. One thing that I've always thought is kind of a little bit unfortunate about azaleas is they're, they're one of the most beautiful plants that there are. But they've got a really short, you know, uh, moment of, you know, when their moment comes. It's like maybe two weeks, you know, the azalea trails, and they just explode with color, you know? And, and this just overwhelmingly large number of blooms and all of that. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, they're gone. I've got some encore azaleas, man. And that just reminds me of the body of Christ. They don't just bloom once. They bloom, and then suddenly they bloom again, and then suddenly they bloom again. That's the way it ought to be, you know? It ought to just have one shining moment, but it ought to have a life of many, many opportunities and many times for the glory of God to be able to show through us and to show through uh, what He wants to do through us. Let me show you the other side of this, okay? This cyclical thing, and this is... I, we're seeing this more and more, that people become jaded, they become, um, they become sophisticated, and they're like, oh, I know how this goes, I know what's going to happen you know, with this. Two Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says, um, and they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For uh, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's looking at a cycle in the wrong way, man. 
They say, where's the promise of his coming? The early church obviously thought that Jesus was coming right away, and they, they didn't see it. And all through history, we've heard this over and over again. Listen, we're not basing it on what people have said. We're basing it on what Jesus had said. And he said it because he wants us to have an expectancy. So when is he coming back? When? If somebody can tell you the answer to that, don't listen to him anymore, okay? If somebody can tell you the day or the hour or the moon cycle or whatever it's going to be that Jesus is coming back, don't listen to him anymore because Jesus plainly said, you won't know the hour or the day, but you do know this. He is coming. And whether it's a day or an hour or a year, I don't think he's coming today, so I'm all set up. I'm ready to go, right? He said, when you don't think it's going to happen, that's when it's going to happen, so I'm ready. But I'm diligently working in the meantime because I know whether he's coming in a day or, an, or, a, or a year or 20 years or 30 years at some point during then or 40 years or 100 years at some point during then I'm going to be standing face to face with him. And I've got a limited amount of time, man. And I can't manufacture more. I can do things to try to prolong my life and, and uh, improve my life but I cannot dis decide how long I'm going to live. That's all I, all I got to do is to make the most of the time that I have, and the time is short. You can clearly see. People that say things continue on as they were from the beginning, you can clearly see the difference just a decade has made. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be have, have uh, you know, all insight. All you got to do is just look around you. Look at how things have changed in the last 10 years. And the change is accelerating. And what does Jesus say about that? Oh no, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> what does he say? He says, it's the chances, the, the, the opportunity is increasing. The opportunity is increasing. There are seasons in your life the natural progression of your life, growth, maturing, and then death. These are, these are things that we know are coming. I was listening to a podcast um, the other day um, that if you might want to listen to it. It's called The Art of Manliness. Um, and it's not like some kind of macho thing. It's got, he's got some really interesting um, guests and topics that he, he talks about. I think the guy's out of, out of Dallas. Um, but the topic the other day was death over dinner. And the point of the thing, some of you may have heard of this, is a guy that wrote a book about it. And the reason why he wrote the book is because he was having a conversation with a couple of doctors, former doctors, um, who didn't know each other and that he didn't know. Um, and he was asking them why they had gotten out of medicine. And both of them said the same reason why they got out of medicine. It's the way that we die and the way that we're born. That medicine is failing miserably in, in the way that we die and the way that we're born. And so this guy took that as, like a, as kind of food for thought because the guy said that um, people don't die prepared. Everybody knows that they're going to die, but nobody dies prepared. The greatest um, reason for bankruptcies in the United States is death. The people are not prepared for that. They're not prepared for their estate to be settled. They're not prepared for their debts to be settled. They're not prepared for um, their final expenses. And we all know that we're supposed to have this. So his, his suggestion was, and this is my takeaway, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but um, is that what we should do is gather your friends or your family or whoever together, have a dinner, and talk about death. Talk about 
what song do you want him to sing at your funeral? Who do you want to get your favorite bicycle? You know? Um, who do you want to be, you know, to be there? And, and so that when people, and, and not to mention just, you know, organ donation and, and uh, estate planning and all of these things, what happens is if people die unprepared, they leave decisions to other people that those people never feel completely qualified to make. How long do you want to prolong your life? How long, I mean, what measures do you want them to take? Would you like to, to exist for years on life support? Or do you want to tell the people that will make that decision, here's what I want, so that when they come to, and I've seen this happen, you, you probably have too. The guilt, the, um, the, the, um, the, the, the difficulty it is to say to unplug the support for your mom or for your dad. So why not just talk about it? Why not just talk to your family about it ahead of time? There's seasons that we're all going to go through. Birth, youth, you know, productive life, and death. God wants us to be productive doing all of that. He wants us to be living our lives and, and, and serving the kingdom in all of that. There are seasons in your family. Your children's lives are extremely time sensitive. This coming school year is not going to be like the last school year and it's not going to be like the next school year. It's a, there's a narrow window of opportunity for us to be able to make a difference in our children's lives. And we can't sleep on that. And we can't just take that for granted. We have to take advantage of it. To know the seasons that we live in and to know what we can do in the kingdom of God. There are seasons in, um, in our city. We're coming up on, um, uh, uh, this week is, um, is uh, City Serve, which is uh, a part of um, the uh, City Fest, um, Luis Palau, that's going to be in uh, October of this year. And this is the beginning of the church actually serving uh, in the community. Many of you guys are already involved in this. I just encourage you to. I went to a, a meeting. Uh, I'm on a couple of the, the boards. I mean, not the boards, the teams. One is the prayer team. Um, and we had another uh, prayer meeting. We're going to have one every uh, month. Uh, we just had another one this past week at the, um, oh, what was the name of it? The uh, Nueva Iglesia Nueva Vida. Do you know it, Becky? Um, anyway, that's my, my Spanish version of it. Um, but it was so awesome to worship with people. The thing that always strikes me is how alike we are, how much we have in common. Though we look at people and we listen to their language and stuff and we're thinking, you know, that they're so different and they're not different than us. They love the Lord, man, and they're so enthusiastic about it. And they loved me. They, like, they were so happy to be, you know, around people that they didn't know. Man, we need more experiences like that in the body of Christ. But listen, man, our city needs the church. Our city needs the church. Our city leaders need the church to be there, to, to be a, a force to be reckoned with, but to be a, a source of support and strength and health in this city. We face a lot of challenges in this city that government cannot handle. They can't. They've consistently shown that they can't, but the church can. 
one of the one of the things that has been consistently shown is how to reduce crime is not necessarily to increase prison sentences. It's to have these kids exposed to people that are strong and healthy and balanced and loving in mentor relationships or in service relationships. Anyway, that's a season that we're going through, and that's when, when I see this um, uh, uh, to, to, uh, to be consistent uh, and to be ready in season. This is a season. You may be busy, and I understand that. Um, one of the ladies that I was talking to this past week, um, she's on like four boards. And she's like, but this is a one-time opportunity. You know? So she's burning the candle at both ends. But she's like, this is a one-time opportunity. She's, uh, she's Hispanic, and she has so many connections in the Hispanic community. And she said, I cannot believe how the Hispanic church is coming together, how, how these Latino churches are beginning to work together. She says, I've never seen that happen before. It's a season that we have to be up for, even if we're personally not necessarily up for. I, I ask um, uh, Luke and Hannah uh, to share today because um, they are such a great picture of that. And I know it's not, per- where are you, Luke and Hannah? They're there. Um, such a great picture of that. And um, so I'm just going to ask them to come and share for a couple of minutes. Let's give them a good welcome as they come. Um, what? Okay. Um, Joe asked us to share about being ready in and out of season, and I, I was thinking about just the words being ready and how it's, uh, you get ready for different things in your life. Like, I know, like when we were in school, we were studying really hard to get ready for tests, and so we're preparing, and there's a lot of preparing and getting ready and being ready. Um, and then like, saving up money for a house or a down payment. Um, but also, there, there seems to be also a, a willingness in that word being ready, because if you're not getting ready, you're not willing to be ready, um, which in our lives, we've not been ready for a lot of things, um, um, are prepared. But the, um, and, and you know, we, we, we try to be ready uh, by preparing by reading scriptures, by praying, and uh, by our faith in, uh, in God and what he's calling us and in fellowship with others that have that same faith. Um, so, I mean, but, but, there's still, but there's still so much that we're not ready for. Um, huh? I'm not good at speaking, so I'm going to let Hannah speak. No, it's okay. So, um, so from the outside view, what we were talking about, Luke and I were, it was like, what do you need to be ready? And from the worldview, it's money and time. Do you have this much money and do you have this much time? And if you guys don't know, um, we have six kids and um, one was just placed with us uh, as an adoption placement. So this week we actually signed off the adoption placement so it's really cool um yes praise the lord and um but when i when joe texts 
um, can you talk about being prepared? I laughed because I'm pretty sure this week I had to text my principal because I would teach that I have to, I'm going to be late because I have to run back home to get shoes for my kid. So being prepared is not my thing from the outward view. Like, are you ready? Do you have enough room in your home? Do you have enough money to provide this? <laughs> but a few years ago, um, before we had Gabe, place our home. He's our adopted son. We adopted him about two years ago. I had this dream that I was cleaning my house, and, and I've shared this before um, here, but, and I knew it was a dream because I was cleaning my house, and, <laughs> and um, I got this knock on a door, and it was this lady with two boys, and um, she's like, you're having these two kids, and I was like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this, and God said to me in this dream, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm telling you be willing and obedient and say yes. So with Gabe, we had about three months to prepare a house and get him in. With Elijah, who was just placed with us, I had just been in and out of the hospital with kidney stones. I was preparing for um, our UIL one act competition. I actually was um, in the middle of rehearsal, my phone was going off like crazy, and I had a van full of high school kids who are nervous. We had probably the worst rehearsal, so as a director, I was freaking out. And um, I got in a van, and I, I called with all these high school kids in the car, and they said, we're bringing a, a, this child to you in like four hours. What? <laughs> I'm not ready for this. I don't have the time. I don't have the patience. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. And it, in my head, I'm not telling you to have everything organized. I'm telling you to obey, to have faith that what you have, what you have in front of you is not what you rely on. To have faith that God's going to give you more than you can handle. That's what we walk in as Christians, that God's going to give you more than you can handle. Because we can't handle it. But God can. Amen. I have fellowship, and Jesus is the best example of that. He didn't do anything he did here on earth without fellowship, right? Even in the garden, when he was waiting to, for his friend, his best friend, to come. <laughs> Who did he have with him? He had men with him. He said, I need you to be awake, and I need you to be praying. So we have fellowship, and we know that we have faith, that we say yes, and he's going to provide. It's never going to be us providing. So when Elijah came, people, sorry, I know this is over my time, but when Elijah came, it was like the world looked at it, and it was like, Hannah, you have a full-time job that you've been going to school for for a long time, and Luke's worked his way up, and he's got this over full-time job, and and do you have the resources for this? But when God looked at it, and whenever we looked at it, I saw this little two-year-old boy broken yeah. coming up there. I saw this little two-year-old boy who needed mommy and daddy, who needed a family, who needed a church, who needed that fellowship. And maybe we can't provide this huge house and with all the little things, but God gave us something in us that might not look perfect or we found because right now it's like 
I'm at that point where I'm excited to take a shower. <laughs> but we have this little boy who says mommy and daddy. You know, he doesn't speak English very much, but he knows those two words. He knows mommy and daddy. And that's enough. And God said, give me what you have and I'll make it more than enough. So. Thanks, guys. I'm just constantly amazed with what I see God doing in people's people's lives and saying yes. And like I said, it's not a fairy tale. You know, it's it's hard. It's complicated. There's plenty of times that they feel like any one of us would feel completely overwhelmed. But um, all God's looking for is for people to say Amen, say yes to to what He's He wants to do, and He needs people to do that. Oswald Chambers says it this way. He says, uh, this is why it's so important, I'm sorry, be ready in season and out of season. In other words, we should be ready whether we feel like it or not. If we do only what we feel inclined to do, some of us will never do anything. There are some people who are totally unemployable in the spiritual realm. That's the reason why I got this quote. I just thought that was so outstanding. Some people who are totally unemployable in the spiritual realm. They are spiritually feeble and weak, and they refuse to do anything unless they are supernaturally inspired. The proof that our relationship is right with God is that we do our best, whether we feel inspired or not. He goes on. This is from uh, actually from this past week, um, April the 25th, from my utmost for his highest. But he goes on to talk about how those moments of inspiration can become gods to us. It's like, I'm not moving until I get inspired. And God's like, I got work to do, you know? I don't care if you're inspired or not. You know, here's the opportunity. Here's this child that needs a home, you know? And if you're waiting for inspiration, it's, look, moments of inspiration are so awesome. They're so, so, but you can't live for those. You can't live for those. You can't let that determine your future, a moment of inspiration. No, step up even if you don't feel inspired. And I guarantee you, man, most of the time, it's when you take that step that the inspiration comes. If you're waiting for the inspiration to move, then you're probably never going to move. And the devil's so happy with that. But if you move, you find grace beyond what you ever thought that it would be. And i just give you some examples here, okay? Does God use people out of season? Does He? So, and, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is just some examples off the top of my head. Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, was that out of season? That was way out of season, wasn't it? It was so far out of season that she laughed when she heard God say that. Right? You're going to have a child. She, she thought that was hilarious. Named her child laughter. You know, just so that nobody would forget that that's how funny it is. That's what God did in her case. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, it's the exact same thing. Way past childbearing age, and yet what did God do? He, he gave her a son. And listen, her husband was silent because he didn't believe. Not because he couldn't believe, but that he wouldn't believe. He wanted it to be proven. He wanted God to do something over and above to make it easy for him to believe. And the angel said, you know what? If an angel standing before you and telling you this is not enough, then you just need to keep your mouth shut for a little while. Right? 
And, that, and of that was born the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. John, Jesus said there was nobody in the Old Testament greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of, of God is greater than him. Out of that silence, and out of Israel's silence before that, for what, 300 years, 600 years? Comes the voice. That God says, okay, I want silence. So that when this voice comes forth, it's going to be momentous, and people are going to listen to it. And then uh, Mary and uh, Joseph, and even Paul called himself to, uh, to be an apostle as one born out of time. You know, he, What he experienced was probably in some ways more dynamic than what the apostles that walk with Jesus experienced. But he never knew Jesus face-to-face that we know of. He never had any encounters with Jesus face-to-face that we know of. He never sat at Jesus' feet and heard his teaching that we know of. But he was an apostle just like all the other apostles. He's the first really New Testament apostle and an example of what God has in store for us today. Don't make a God out of your best times, your successes. And do your best whatever, regardless of whatever your feelings are. Most of the time that I've been confronted with something that's really almost overwhelming and things like that, there's at least a step that I know that I'm supposed to take. And if I'll take that step, then it'll open up more and more and more. All God wants you to be is faithful with what you know. That's all He wants. And He wants you to leave the rest to Him. And if you get discouraged and you quit doing what you know is the right thing to do, then, you know, shame on you because you're the one that, that's between you and God. It's not between you and your circumstances. I'm not trying to shame you, okay? I could use milder words, but I just feel like it's important for us to come to grips with the fact that it's never going to be a perfect time. It's never going to be a perfect situation. Every now and then you'll find yourself in something that's just like, you know, magical. It's like blessed of God. But most of the time, it's going to be a slog, man. It's going to be hard. And you're going to have plenty of other things to do, and God is calling on you to do what He's calling on you to do. It's eternal. The consequences and the results are eternal. Do your best, especially when times are the worst. Apparently, according to the Scriptures, if you're going to be used of God, it's almost going to have to be out of season. So that people looking at you will say, that's got to be God. When I was leading worship several years ago, um, there was a lady in our church that had gotten a a really uh, serious diagnosis. And she'd had a... And I'd, been, I'd prayed with her several times during the week and talked to her several times uh, during the week. And she came in that Sunday morning, uh, and I was leading worship, and we began to worship, and she was just into it, man. She was just worshiping. And I, I think I might have told you this before, but the co- congregation's response is so much a vital part of what a worship leader does. I mean, he's leading you, or she's leading you, but you're also enabling them. And that morning, man, she was enabling me to lead with, uh, just because I know what kind of week she'd had. And after church was over, um, I said something to her, and I just said, man, I saw how you were worshiping uh, the Lord today. And, he, and, and she said, it's not because I feel like it, it's because He's worthy of it. It's not based on my feelings, it's based on His worth. 
Yesterday I was talking to a friend who came over. She's, uh, she's relocated. She, she used to be, she was part here for a long, long time. Um, and just, just one of those really um, great moments. Um, and she was just, we were just talking. And you know how when you haven't seen somebody for a while, you just like, you remember how much you liked them and loved them and just like being around them and their, their little um, idiosyncrasies and stuff like that and just how much you kind of miss that. And she said to me, she said, Brother Joe, I am the person that I am because of you pouring into my life for 30 years. And you know what I told her? And this is the truth. She is who she is because she consistently showed up for 30 years. God always has something for you. He will always speak to you. But this woman was consistent in her service, in her attendance, in her support, in everything. She was consistent. That's the key to 30 years of growth. I had my part to play, but it was small compared to the part that she had to play of just showing up, just being here, just prioritizing body life and service. And let me, let me just say one more thing. You can come, Dave. We're going to uh, worship for a minute and have a time of prayer and ministry if you, if you, uh, if you want. Um, there are see, people that are around you, even like people that are around you right now today need you to not be all caught up in what's going on in your life. They, they need you to be aware of what's going on in their life. And it's going to cost you. It costs. Um, we had a men's retreat a few years ago, and uh, we played paintball. And uh, the game that we were playing in paintball is that if you get hit, then if another guy on your team touches you, you're back, you're alive. You know. But as long once you get hit, you're out of commission. So as soon as we counted it down and started, I took off running. I was running for a, a, a little shelter thing and got popped just square in the helmet. And, uh, and so I'm down. It's humiliating. Let me just say that. And it was a lucky shot. And it's humiliating as a pastor for one of your members to shoot you mercilessly. And so I stopped and I, you know, I, I took a knee where I was. And I was in the middle of nowhere. Man, there was no structure around me or anything like that. And, uh, and RJ uh, was, at, was behind a, a, uh, a pallet. Um, maybe about 10 yards away from me. And I'm sitting there, and RJ's looking at me. And, and, and look, I mean, when you're getting shot at, it's not, it's not fun. I mean, I know I'm not going to die from it, but it's going to hurt bad, you know? And I'm watching RJ, and my life depends in the game. My life depends on him exposing himself to danger and coming and touching me. And he's got enough to do just with what he's got going on. And he did, man. And I saw RJ coming, and man, he came up to me, and he slapped me on the head and kept on running like that. And just like, about knocked me over, and I'm like, thanks, you know, for that. But I was back in the game. Listen, what if that's all it takes to restore a brother or to restore a sister? What if it's possible that you, if you would not be all caught up in your own self, but look at the person right next to you and say, man, I just want you to know that I love you. You know, God is there for me. Or can I pray for you? If you ask any member of this congregation today, can I pray for you? They would have something that you could pray for. Them. Why 
don't we stand together this morning? I want to give us an opportunity to do just that, okay? Just with the person on your left or the person on your right, or maybe you want to just make a, a little trio or something like that. Don't make a huge group. Just turn to one another and ask them how you can pray for them. And we're going to sing a couple of choruses here. Don't let anybody be, you know, don't be self-conscious. Don't be, you know, worried about it. Just a brief prayer. We don't have time to pray, you know, the entire prayer of faith over everybody. Just touch somebody's life with prayer and uh, ask them how you can pray for them and then pray for them. And then we'll wind up, we'll, we'll close with the prayer. Jesus, see his 
on his throne I'll find the crown upon my head A thousand jewels for every yes I said and I'll offer it right back to him Oh, I say yes, Lord I say yes, Lord I say yes, my life is yours When you call me, I'll come running I say yes Father, I thank you today, Lord, for uh, a community of believers, Lord, um, that is uh, consistent, um, that is uh, prayerful, um, that is filled with your spirit. I pray, Lord, for every one of us that we would just be filled to overflowing with your spirit, Lord. Your spirit's always up for it, Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would lean heavily on him, that we would depend upon him, Lord, uh, to give us wisdom and insight. Uh, and all the means necessary to fulfill the will of God. And, uh, and I thank you for it. Thank you that you put us in an impossible spot, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you that when, uh, when people look at our lives, that they will see um, just normal people doing the impossible, Lord. And that you'll get the glory for it, Father. And I pray that you'd send us out from here, Lord Jesus, um, to, uh, to preach uh, the gospel, to apply the word. Um, to be consistent, Lord Jesus, in our witness uh, before our friends and our neighbors, our families and our co-workers, Lord, and, uh, and affect this city with the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.